White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? <laughs> this presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome into White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. It's been a minute. Great to talk to everybody. This is your show for all things White Sox. Got a lot to do and not enough time to do it. Two-hour show today leading up to an 11.30 pregame show. White Sox get the Yankees for game two of three in the Bronx. Tough one last night. White Sox fell to the Yankees, 2-1 to one the final. Really good ball game. I mean, if you took the whole, yes, the White Sox lost by one to the Yankees on the road in the Bronx thing out of it, which I get it. No one probably should. But if you took that out of it, that was a darn good ball game last night. Tight and close the entire way around. Some timely hitting. Some in- insane defensive plays by the White Sox. Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu both cutting down runs at the plate. Carlos Rodon was terrific. Really just a, a great ball game all the way around. Here's hoping for more Saturday afternoon today, and here's hoping for a little bit different result. 2-1 to one the final last night. Um, here's what we're up to on White Sox Weekly this morning. Run of show, if you will. Because it's been, it's been a couple of weeks since I've had a chance to talk with everybody. It's been a couple of weeks since I've had a chance to host White Sox Weekly. I've been doing the broadcast on Saturdays, filling in for Len. It's been very fun doing that. I, I miss White Sox Weekly, though, and, and love to get a chance to talk all things White Sox with you. Here's the schedule, the schedule. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk White Sox? We're here to talk White Sox. Light it up. Give us the call. Let us know what you're thinking about when it comes to your first place Chicago White Sox. You know, it's, it's really your show. want you to be involved as much as as you possibly can be. 312-332-3776. If it's on your mind, we want it on the show, at least for the most part. Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, is going to join us at 10 o'clock. Uh, full disclosure, I had the conversation with him earlier this morning, and I only tell you that to tell you this. It's a good one. You're going to want to tune in. Ethan Katz at 10 o'clock. Uh, he's got the league's best rotation. He's got the league's best pitching staff, really. I mean, you can argue a couple of others are pretty close and tight, but... This is top to bottom, 1 through you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, because I think depth matters in the bigs. This is one of the best pitching staffs in Major League Baseball, and Ethan Katz is a big reason for it. He will join the show at 10. Scott Merkin at 11. We'll talk to MLB.com's beat reporter for the White Sox at 11 o'clock. But I want to get into last night's ballgame a little bit first before we go any farther in the show, You know, kind of a look back to go forward sort of thing. Carlos Rodon was incredible. I mean, in a lot of ways, and Len and DJ both talked about this on the broadcast last night. Carlos went six innings. He struck out 13. He didn't walk anybody. He allowed, what, two hits? I, he was terrific. He was absolutely terrific. Jordan Montgomery on the other side for the Yankees was also very good. But what impressed me most about Rodon are a couple of things. And I think this matters especially when you broaden it out to what this is going to mean for the White Sox heading into June, heading into July, August, and September, right? First of all, assuming everybody stays healthy, or at least healthy enough, 
Carlos Rodon is giving you ace-level stuff. But you knew that already, right? I mean, he's had one bad start. And his bad start was five and two-thirds and four runs. That's one out and one fewer run from a quality start. He battled his took us off against the Kansas City Royals to keep the White Sox in that game. And clo- and they were. They, they had a couple of chances in that game. They didn't come up uh, with some opportunities there. The Royals pitched well that day. But that's his worst start. What impresses me most about a starter, a, a guy who's clicking like this, a guy who's got, you know, track record and pedigree, but maybe not to the point. You wouldn't call him an ace, right? Rodon was drafted with the expectation, with the hope that he could become one, but he hasn't necessarily pitched like a top guy in the rotation up until this year. I think, you know, White Sox fans know that. The White Sox know it. That's why he was non-tender. But when a guy who's kind of announcing himself, you know, to the league like this, announces presence with authority, so to speak, when he runs into a little bump in the road, what I like to see, and, and what impresses me maybe more than anything, is when Carlos was against the Kansas City Royals and struggled some, he didn't have his best stuff and still found a way to compete. He didn't have the knockout slider. His fastball command wasn't as good as it, certainly as good as it was in the no-hitter. It wasn't as good in some other starts. It was kind of back to that first start of the year against the Seattle Mariners, really. It, it was okay. It was fine. He was really having to work for things. He wasn't getting called strikes the way he had in, in starts prior. But he found a way to battle, and he found a way to keep himself in it. That impresses me about a starter. Because you have to know how to do that. You have to know how to pitch with stuff that's less than your best. You have to understand your own thing to the level where you can still get around big league hitters and big league lineups. And with a couple of exceptions that day against the Royals, because it's never going to be perfect with your worst stuff or, or, or not great stuff, Carlos kept that team in the game. Fast forward to his next start, you know, last night. The one where he went 16 innings, six innings, and struck out 13. Six innings would be a hell of a thing. We'd have to report that. That would probably be the lead story. We probably had that earlier on in the show. He went six innings and struck out 13. It's the first time a White Sox starter, first time anybody, any starter, has struck out five consecutive Yankees to open a game since 1963. Bob Nightingale was tweeting about this. I thought it was great. Sandy Koufax was the last guy to do it. In the 1963 World Series, Koufax struck out Tony Kubek, Bobby Richardson, Tom Tresh, a fellow named Mickey Mantle, and then got Roger Maris. Elston Howard popped up to end the second inning. Dodgers won that game 2-1. to one. They swept the World Series. Koufax that year. I'm not saying this is a sign of things to come for Carlos Rodon. I'm not saying that because he struck out the first five Yankees, and he's the only guy to do it since 1963 when Koufax did it. I'm not saying that he will also win the Cy Young and MVP like Koufax did that year. But Koufax did in 1963 win the Cy Young and the MVP. I love that stat. I don't know why. And that's not even a stat. That's a fun fact. A stat is like, oh, he's done this this many times on this many days. That's a fun fact. And anytime you've got, anytime you've got Koufax in a pitching fun fact, you're doing something right. At least my opinion. Carlos also has two games of 12 or more strikeouts this year. There are only three other pitchers with more, and they each have three. That's Garrett Cole, the guy going today for the Yankees, and this will be a tough one. Garrett Cole has pitched as well as anybody, really anybody in baseball. Uh, Shane Bieber and Jacob DeGrom are your three other guys. Those are dudes. Those are the guys. 
Those the ones of ones in Major League Baseball right now. Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, and Jacob DeGrom. I also thought it was interesting that Carlos, in that start, had four, four different times, three-pitch strikeouts. He was, anytime you strike out 13, it is not going to be as, I don't know, economical as a start where you're laying down a bunch of ground balls and getting through things quickly. And, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to throw a Greg Maddox. You're not going to have a complete game with under 100 pitches if you're striking out 13 or 14 or even 12 or 11, right? But he was efficient enough in a 13-strikeout game. He was, he was handling that opposing lineup. I mean, I thought it was really impressive from Carlos. Just a really nice night. Uh, Michael Kopech gave up the home run to right field. And I, listen, I've been to Yankee Stadium once. I, I was never in old Yankee Stadium. I had a trip booked. I was ready to go. It, it got canceled late. So I, I never got to go to the house that Ruth built. But I've been to the remake. And, you know, the, the field is all, it's, it's, it's all the, the same dimensions. You know, you watch a lot of Yankees games. They've been in the playoffs my entire, you know, teenage years and all through college and stuff. So I, I've seen Yankee Stadium. But when you look at it again, right, when the White Sox go out there and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm really focused in on this game. And they put as many balls out to right field as they did. It's, it's crazy how short and small that right field is. And it should almost be illegal that they have a giant in Aaron Judge playing such a tiny right field. That seems like the size to weight ratio of Aaron Judge, who I think is seven foot two, playing in right field that's that small seems crazy to me. But Michael Kopech gave up a home run to right field. It got like, I don't know, a foot over the fence. It got like one row into the bleachers. And that was kind of the difference for most of the game up until Evan Marshall gave up three straight singles. It was only the third time that three, three, three consecutive hitters put a ball in play in the game. I mean, think about that. I'm not talking about hits. I'm talking about just balls in play that were recorded for outs even. Only three times in that game where three in a row put it in play. Send out to the phone lines, 312-332-3776. It's White Sox Weekly. You want to talk a little White Sox? We're the show for you. Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, is going to join us at 10 o'clock. We're going to get into uh, we're going to get into some of the conversation around the Yermin Mercedes 3-0 swing when we come back after a, uh, after a quick break. But I want to get out to the phone lines quickly. On the south side, it's Patrick. What's up, Patrick? Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me something. Explain to me. Explain this to me. Evan uh, Marshall, in an eight, you pick him in the eighth inning, you, you barely got out of that luck. Basically, you got a line drive, somebody called and doubled them up, right? Aaron averaged about six. High leverage situation. How do you start him in the ninth? Explain to me how you start him back in the ninth. How do you throw Evan Marshall in the ninth inning again? Yeah, yeah. What, what, what was that all about? I mean, it cost, cost the White Sox. I'm telling you, I could name five games where he literally cost him by manager decisions. Where Evan Five Marshall games. cost the White Sox a game? He gave it up in the ninth inning. He yeah, gave no, no, it up no, no. in the ninth inning. Patrick, innings. Patrick, I'm not, I'm not sitting here arguing with you. I'm just asking you to clarify your point. Are you saying there's, there's five games Evan Marshall has cost no, the White Sox? No, no, I'm saying La Russa. Oh, okay, La well, that's, that's why White I asked. Five man. games already. Yeah. All right, you know, Patrick, I appreciate the phone call, man. Um, I, Liam Hendricks was up, and I kind of thought Liam was coming in. He didn't. In the post game, uh, which we played last night, Tony mentioned that Liam was up for a save opportunity or for extras. Those were those were the pockets that they were targeting for Hendricks. Tony knows his bullpen 
better than we know the bullpen. And I mean that in terms of any manager knows who's up, who's available, who's ready, and who's not better than we do. So there's there's always and I and I know that just sounds like I'm you know I'm throwing on a cape or whatever, and I, I I don't really mean to, especially not this early in the morning. But it is true. And that's that's maybe one like one of the first things I learned covering baseball at when I started like 10, 12 years ago, is that the manager really does have and the coaching staff, if you want to put it to, that way, if you, if it makes you feel better. They really do have a better understanding of who's up, who's available, who's thrown, and who hasn't. But that said, last night's ball game comes after an off day, where Lucas Giolito threw eight innings the day before, and Liam Hendricks threw a one inning save and looked maybe as good as he's looked in a White Sox uniform in Getaway Day against the Minnesota Twins. I wouldn't mind, and this is just from a long term perspective, right? I wouldn't mind Liam Hendricks pitching more for the White Sox. I, I am a guy, though, who comes from a kind of a, I guess you'd call it somewhat newer school. It's like the school that came right before the Rays throwing bullpen arms whenever the heck they feel like it. And the one that came after your seventh inning guy, your eighth inning guy, your ninth inning guy, right? Not to say that any one works better than the other. Because if you've got like, I don't know, Moda Quantrill uh, uh, Gagne in the back end of your bullpen, you can go seven, eight, and nine. That's fine. If you've got Lidge Dotel Wagner... You can go seven, eight, and nine, and you're all good to go. But if you're like the Rays and you want to mix and match some of your arms a little bit, that's one thing. I, I, I think Liam Hendricks is an arm more than anything that wants to pitch a lot and is willing to do it. And I, I kind of thought that that was going to be the, the strategy, I guess, for Liam Hendricks when, when they started the season, when they signed him, when, when Rickon talked about it, when even Tony talked about it. The idea was to you know to get Liam a lot of work. And for a lot of reasons, it hasn't quite played out like that. Quite frankly, I don't think the White Sox have been in a whole bunch of games where Liam Hendricks' usage is like, okay, there's your spot. There have been a couple, no doubt. And I think one of them is up there. Or last night's game, rather, might be up there. But I I think it'll be really interesting to see how this bullpen begins to shake out. I I think, you know, with, with the way some of the guys, like, Bummer or Marshall or even Foster to a certain degree have struggled a little bit to get back to career averages this year. I get some frustration. This White Sox bullpen was supposed to be, if not the source of strength, then one of them and one of the top ones. You are going to need Evan Marshall. You are going to need Aaron Bummer, obviously. You're going to need Matt Foster. You need those guys pitching quality innings as we go down the stretch. So I, I think you know, getting them work and making sure that they're, you know, on point is as important as as many other things this season. One of the biggest storylines in baseball surrounded the White Sox over the week. It was the Yermin Mercedes 3-0 home run. We haven't gotten a chance to talk about it, you and I, here on White Sox Weekly. Love to do it when we come back. 312-332-3776. You'll hear from Tim Anderson. You'll hear from Tony La Russa in the next segment of White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. This is some real smooth stuff we've got coming back from break. Tyler Aki, our producer, cranking out the jams this morning here on the network. Hey, Sox fans, single game tickets from May 24th to June 16th are on sale now. Plus, promos are back. 
Catch all the action at home and see your White Sox live for tickets and the promo schedule. Visit WhiteSox.com. I've looked at some of the promos on the promo schedule. They look great because they always are. Uh, but these look a lot of fun. Can't I, I was just Brooks Boyer was on the broadcast a couple of uh, what was it last home stand as the White Sox and and the Cubs for that matter uh, credit where credits due and and the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois all worked together to prepare a plan to return to sixty percent capacity at guaranteed rate field starting on that May twenty fourth series against the Cardinals. I am very much looking forward to it. I've talked a lot on White Sox Weekly leading up to the season, just how how big a thing having baseball fans back in the stadium, having White Sox fans back in the stadium was going to be. Um, and it really was. I mean, seeing, seeing everybody back in there, seeing 7,000, then 8,000, then 9,000, then almost 10,000 before the White Sox took off for Minnesota and then New York was awesome. I mean, it was a real psychological lift after everything we've been through the last year and seeing everybody back in baseball games is awesome. That doesn't mean anybody's out of it. That doesn't mean this isn't over. That doesn't mean it is over. Um, we're seeing the, seeing the Mariners deal with some COVID issues and some tests. Shoot, we've seen the Yankees themselves. Uh, Glaber Torres had COVID, was vaccinated, then was reinfected. This This is still real we are still dealing with the issues and fallout and the recurring problems around COVID-19 but knowing that you know vaccination numbers are getting where they are knowing that we are as a city as a a White Sox organization as a fan base and and on the other side of town because it matters when you're gathering all these people the Cubs as well uh, we're we're getting to a point where this plan and and these kind of processes can be as safe and, and kind of openly talked about as, as the risk that, that may or may not be involved in it as possible. It's, it's awesome to see everybody back. I'm really looking forward to everybody showing up for the Cardinals series um, starting on May 24th. The White Sox will also have vaccination sites, two vaccination sites. You can get your one shot and a $25 gift certificate to, uh, to the White Sox ballpark. I think you can redeem that at all kinds of kiosks and stuff there at the park. In fact, you can join us. On May 24th and 25th, as the White Sox take on the Cardinals at 7:10, the first 10,000 fans at each game will receive a long-sleeve Change the Game t-shirt presented by BMO. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. I want to play you a little sound here, and, and perhaps we'll get into it a little later on in the show. Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, is going to join us at 10. Tim Anderson and really the rest of the team have a difference of opinion with manager Tony La Russa on the 3-0 swing by Yermin Mercedes in Minnesota. And let me expand the circle some, right? It's not just Tony La Russa that doesn't want guys to swing 3-0 when a position player's up there is pitching. He's one of many. And it's not just Tim Anderson, and it's not just whoever that wants guys to just hit homers and let it go and play ball. There are two, you know, kind of competing thoughts in baseball right now. And that's okay. I mean, truly, it's okay that you have a difference of opinion about where this game is right now. Because it makes it interesting. No one's getting hurt when you swing 3-0 or when you don't swing 3-0. No one needs to get hurt. Further on down the line, that's what makes what Tyler Duffy, the Twins reliever who threw behind your mean Mercedes the night after, so, as Tim put it, 
kind of cowardly, in my opinion, and in Tim's opinion, and I think in the opinions of many others. You, you don't need to throw behind a guy or anywhere near a guy because he hit a home run and did his job. Tim Anderson spoke to reporters yesterday, and I think this did a pretty good job at establishing that, yes, there is a difference of opinion, and no, it doesn't really matter so much. Here's Tim on where things kind of got with Duffy and the 3 swing to begin with. No, it don't matter. Everybody got opinion. And it don't matter. Um, you know, we know what we know what um, what we like to do. We like to have fun, and um, you know, we're trying to really worry about um, you know the outside world and just take care of what's in the locker room. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we're gonna go out and play you know the way that we want to play, <laughs> um, and then we're gonna enjoy it and have fun with it. And um, and that's how we're at our best. When we're enjoying the game, and uh, you know, so we we really don't really worry about you know the outside noise. We just take care and uh, control what we can control. So that's Tim's initial response to, to the kind of difference of opinion. And he was asked as a follow-up whether or not it matters or, or whether it's okay that they have that difference of opinion. We're not going to always agree, and that's okay. You know, but we just keep moving and keep And uh, he knows that. He knows that. You know, we're not going to always be, be on the same page. But at the end of the day, end of the day we all got to go out and get a win, and uh, we got to keep pushing. It's all good. It's okay to not, you know, to disagree from each other. But uh, we all definitely put it on the same screen. I mean, this is this most recent situation where a disagreement has to be talked out um, mm-hmm. to, to be able to move on with it. And are, have you guys been able to talk about that? Yeah, we touched on it. Um, but, you know, we try not to spend too much time on it. We just, we let you guys talk about it. Um, and, and as you see, you know, uh, the media talk about it. And But for us, you know, man, we it's okay. You know, Tony's like that dad. We like his kids. We like we like the bad kids that don't listen. <laughs> but we all get along, so we're just gonna keep pushing, man. And and uh, he knows, man. We're gonna go out and and play fun. And uh, you know, the ultimate goal is to get wins and you know enjoy the game. And you know, hopefully we can just you know keep pushing and uh, you know move on past this. Lou Russa kind of responded in his own press conference yesterday before the game against the Yankees about what it is to kind of have, uh, as as Tim put it, there kind of the bad kids. That everybody still gets along with. Any father would like love to have a son like Tim, because his his bad just means he went from very very good to just good. There's no bad with him. Um, that's why I made it a point to explain the three O deal. Once they understood, I think they it's just a matter of opinion, but they knew where I was coming from, and you know, I was coming from a place that's really meant to protect our team. So they're not on the same page on this particular part of baseball. But you've got 26 guys in a clubhouse, and that's just the uniformed dudes. We're going to talk to Ethan Katz, the pitching coach, in just a couple of minutes. He's one more, plus Tony, plus Debo, plus Joe McEwing, plus training staff and other coaches. It's, it's, there's a lot of people in that clubhouse. And never in the history of baseball has any group of guys like that believed the exact same things on everything. Never. It's, in my opinion, it's crucial that though they're on different pages about whatever it is, that these guys learn to be in the same book. And they are. They really clearly are. And more than anything else, if this comes up again, it'll be when the White Sox are up or down 12, right? Which, fine. At that point, game's out of reach. That's ball game. It's over. And hopefully the White Sox are winning. 
this isn't a thing that gets in the way of winning a game like last night, a close game. They they truly believe, at, at least they've they've said it many, many times, they are pulling from the same end of the rope when it comes to winning games for the White Sox. When we come back, White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz will be our guest. He's got one of the league's best pitching staffs, top to bottom, front to back. He's our guest on White Sox. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Scott Merkin will be our guest at 11 o'clock. We'll talk to MLB.com's White Sox beat writer in about an hour. Right now, though, we are joined by White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz. Ethan, how you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, last night was a heck of a ball game. Uh, obviously, disappointing to take a 2-1 loss like that. But my goodness, the pitching on both sides was... I, I hope at some point you're able to step back and take a look at that game, maybe take the result out and realize just how good everybody was top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, it was a really exciting game. Um, it was really nice to see Carlos... I wouldn't say he had a bad game his last game, but it was nice to see him kind of do what he had been doing um, and and throw, you know, six amazing innings for us. 13 strikeouts was absolutely incredible. Uh, He has been ridiculous all season long, and I'm glad you pointed out the game before. It's, It's always impressive to me when a guy can go out there with something less than the best stuff and really kind of battle and hold his team in it. The the home run he gave up to the Royals was a pitcher's pitch. I mean, that was a night where he he really kind of showed the White Sox he can gut it out and work through whatever things kind of pop up for him. Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was you know we talked after the game and there were some things that um, I thought he could do a little bit better. But it's also really tough when you're facing a team twice in a row for any pitcher. Doesn't matter how good you are. there's some disadvantages to that, but it was really nice for you know for him to go out there and go five and two thirds. Um, that was huge for that day, especially with our bullpen because we were really shorthanded. So um, you know he goes five and he goes gets one more out and gives up one less run. It's a quality start. So um, I was really impressed still with his outing that day. His his outing against the Yankees last night was I mean fastball was great, slider was great. I I've been really interested in his changeup and how often he uses it. I figured probably something between fifteen and twenty percent last night. I'm not entirely sure or, or whether you have the numbers or not. I thought it was a, a real good pitch, and every time he threw it, I like oh there oh there's that changeup that's really working. That's really keeping guys off balance. How big a key is that for him right now? Uh, it's really important because I mean if you're game planning against him off years past, you're looking for the slider. Um, and right now they have to honor both sides of the plate, up, down, um, it, and it, it's, a, it's a great weapon. And it was something that, you know, was when he showed me in spring training, it was like, this is a really good pitch. We really need to utilize this a lot more, um, especially against the Yankees. It was a really good fastball-hitting team. Um, what he did with the secondary stuff was really important. I know you and Carlos started working together even before you signed with the White Sox, before he signed with the White Sox again in this offseason. Has there been anything about his attitude, about his mindset, or or kind of mental makeup this season that has surprised you as he's worked so well? Uh, I mean, I've just been impressed. I mean, he's been, he's been working hard. Everything that's been asked of him, um, he's been doing. He's been very diligent with everything he's been doing. So, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we talk to in bullpens and stuff like that. And, you know, he's really 
um, impressed me with like how much he's retaining um, that stuff we talk, and then he takes over into the game. And Zach's been great with him um, calling calling his pitches and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I've I you never know because you don't know the players that well until you meet them and and stuff like that. But I've just been impressed all the way around with all aspects of his game and his makeup. Talking to the White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz here on White Sox Weekly. You've known Lucas Giolito, obviously, for a very long time. He fits into a different category, I would imagine, having known him since his high school days. What clicked for him against the Twins? Um, you know, I think the one thing was um, it, it was his best day with his slider. Um, so he was able to show something that was breaking a little bit more, just relying on the fastball changeup combination. Um, and utilizing that, but then also the location of his pitches, and he just really kind of gained momentum as the game went on. But um, this the slider, he took a step forward with that, and it's something he'd been work been working really hard behind the scenes to kind of get the shape right. Um, and you know, he had his best best day with it. Um, after a couple starts, so it was nice to see. Lucas mentioned that you guys started throwing the curveball in bullpen sessions to kind of reshape that slider, or at least I, I think I have that right. Can you walk me through how that works? So the day before his, the day before his start, I threw it his way because he's been, you know, he stopped throwing his curveball, um, and it was something that where he, you know, he always had thrown it. He didn't use it that much in the game, and it was like, well, I'm just going to focus on the slider. Um, and by doing that so the day before I was like you know I think we need to throw the curveball again and this is just to kind of get his hand back to neutral I know it might not make sense but he's so um he's so pronated with how he released the releases the baseball mm-hmm. and um with his slider he needs to turn his hand and get supinated and it makes it really tough to be able to do that when he's constantly going one direction with his hand so Basically, the curveball is an exaggeration of that. So being able to do that um, would help support the shape of the slider. Um, and thank God it worked, and we're going to continue with that path. And he might break out of some curveballs now um, if he feels good with it. But um, it was just something that breaking down video, and that was the one common denominator in thinking about the hand position that – thought would get him help him get back on track that's a really cool little fix that's like your that's like the bottom of the uh of the web page scroll down like this one weird trick will fix your blah 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 like that feels like what that the equivalent for pitching coaches yeah i mean we've <laughs> done it with some guys who cut who cut the fastball we'll throw two seamers even though they don't throw that they kind of get their hand back to neutral and it just just took me a second to figure that out hey. um Ethan, is is this your first professional trip to Yankee Stadium? I was looking through your, your baseball reference card and your time with the Giants. Is this this is the first time? Yeah, yeah, it's my first time. I came here five years ago because my wife had um, she had to come to New York for for work, so I came with her just to tag along, and I wanted to make it a point to uh, come to Yankee Stadium because I never knew when I would get back here. So I paid to do a tour, and you know, yesterday, five years later. I'm coaching Yankee Stadium, so this is the first time actually being here as like a seeing a game and and coaching. So it's quite the experience. Everybody talks about you know players going in there and walking those halls, and you know Darren Jackson, who does our our analysis work on the radio broadcast, talks about walking through the halls that Babe walked through, all that kind of stuff. I've only been there once. I sat you know left field, way up in the nosebleeds. But watching last night, it just reminded me how tiny right field is. 
and how it feels really unfair that Aaron Judge, an enormous human, is playing that tiny right field. How do you talk to pitchers about it? I mean, we, I, I, we don't really talk about the dimensions of the field too much because we don't want to game plan against something we can't avoid. But it's it's something that I didn't realize, when, I guess, when I took the tour, that how short it was, and I just kind of knew that. But actually standing out there and watch every ball that we hit yesterday, whether it was you know, a blooper or ball hit to the wall and judges covering every single inch of that outfield. It's like, this is a pretty small field, um, especially the right field. I mean, it's, I just never realized it. It's really short out there. It's it's incredibly tiny. I, I don't, it, it should almost be illegal that they have a guy seven feet five covering right field. <laughs> I know. It's, he's with he a cannon. Well. With a cannon, too. I mean, that's that's the other thing he's got. I was wondering, Ethan, can you walk me through like a, a generic usage conversation you might have with Tony leading up to a game for relievers? Like, how do you guys plan what reliever is going to get what hitters? How does that conversation evolve during the game itself? Um, it, I think it starts with who's available that day and then what they can provide and then trying to find the best, ma- best matchups for them, like certain pockets. Um, these three hitters, probably this guy, these three hitters, this guy, um, score-dependent, um, well, these are all factors that um, somebody has to come in to clean up an inning. Who's the best guy for that? So these are all factors that kind of get talked about before the game and then during the game as well. As it gets late and close and you've got your starter, whether it's you know Lucas the other day going eight or Carlos working six and, and you feel this game getting tighter and tighter, how do those conversations change? You know, they, especially with the the extra innings rule in play now that you've got this guy on second base, and you're like, oh, okay, this may change. We may have this whole extras thing in play. We've got to strategize around. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely factors in. I mean, obviously, when you get into those situations where you have a runner on second, I mean, having a swing and miss guy on the mound is a little bit more important um, just to be able if you can get one out. Um, via the strikeout, then it gives them one less opportunity to move the guy over. Um, you know, but, you know, all those things come into play. Um, who you, who's also coming up as well. Uh, if you need a ground ball, which guy can do that if we were to walk this guy to, you know, set up a double play situation. So um, there's a lot of things that factor into that, but uh, having a swing and miss guy is, is a big um is a big help when you get into those extra inning games. What sorts of challenges and opportunities have you guys found in keeping Michael Kopech kind of both stretched out but also ready to go as as often as you can so you can win ball games? He's that kind of good. And how much was that a conversation when you were were interviewing for this job? Um, I mean, we just, you know, obviously yesterday was a great opportunity to get him up twice um, and just trying to make sure he's getting ample amount of rest and then, you know, obviously he's been a really good whatever role he's been so far. But when there's an opportunity to, to get him stretched out, do a couple innings, um, we definitely want to take advantage of that. Um, but it's, you know, it, it makes it tough because when you do that, then you also have him down for a couple of days, yeah. um, which we don't want as well. But, you know, we need to keep him stretched out for his development and also being able to use all his pitches. So it's a little bit um, of a challenge, but you know, thinking ahead and how can we also um, get him a couple starts because of all the double headers, it's, you know, it's in the back of our mind. Um, but it's something we talked about a lot when I did the interview about what what does his year look like, um, especially with 
having the two years off, how can we keep them healthy but also get the most out of them? How do you put into perspective all the no-hitters we've seen so far this year? Um, I would say it's good. I'm also worried a little bit because I wonder what the next what, what might come next from Major League Baseball. Um, In what way? Rectify that. I don't know. They're, you know, they hear about them pushing the mound back yeah. um, and independent ball. Um, just little things like that to, you know, are they going to change that on us? And then obviously the there's also an, uh, A ball right now. They have um, the pickoff attempts. So there's more stolen bases. So I think they're going to, you know, they're going to try to push for offense here soon, um, which is, you know, I'm, I'm a pitching coach. I don't really want to have to deal with that. But, but the other the other part of that though is league average. The league average batting average is two thirty seven. That's immensely low. Like, are you are you at all? I know you're a pitching coach, but are you at all drawn to thinking, well, that could go up twenty five points and and probably be better a better ball game? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, yeah, I can't speak for how hitting coaches plan on. I know they're trying to hit the ball over the fence a lot more and, and do those types of things. And there's a little bit more swing and miss in the game. And guys' stuff have gotten better with the information that we now have and how to shape pitches. So um, I, I think it's a combination of everything. But I think over time it will kind of, you know, normalize and guys will start to – those numbers will start to trend in another direction. Dylan Cease goes this afternoon against the Yankees. He has been pretty darn good in his own right. Last three, four starts have been fantastic. It really all started a seam to click in that complete game he threw against the Tigers. A seven-inning doubleheader game, but a complete game nonetheless. What has been your observations of Cease from pitch one against Detroit to uh, you know what will be his bullpen session coming up here in about an hour? Um. You know, he's really doing a good job utilizing all his pitches, um, getting to really good locations, uh, getting throwing the ball in a little bit more on guys to keep them honest on their secondary stuff and it doesn't become an easy take for them. But he's really been able to kind of, you know, harness more and more confidence. Uh, he showed this in spring training. Obviously, the first four starts were fine, but he wasn't getting as deep as he probably wanted to. But it's just, you know, it's part of the development. Um, he's also 25 years old, you know. So uh, he's starting to realize how what he can do and, and the execution of his pitches and how good his stuff is and uh, how to use his weapons a little bit more. And his confidence is high, and, and we're definitely riding this train right now. Can can his curveball sometimes be too good? Like it just it has so much break that it's almost tough for an umpire to see that yeah it did cross the strike zone. Yeah, I think it, it causes a lot of issues for umpires when it's up in the zone because of how hard how high it starts, and then when it lands, and I think it's also too overwhelming for hitters if it bounces because then it's where it starts and how how far down it goes. So the sweet spot is you know obviously being in the zone, but being down below when he's able to be there then that's when he's able to generate the swings that he wants i guess that's a good problem to have <laughs> yes I'd rather have that one than whatever curveball i was throwing in uh american legion ball ethan appreciate it so much great talking with you good luck against the yankees tonight and congratulations on what has been a terrific pitching staff from all the way to the top to all the way to the bottom so far this year thanks so much
That's White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz back with more on White Sox Weekly in just a few here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. I'll hit the post there, too. That's awesome. White Sox and Yankees coming up. 12.05 start this afternoon. The 11.30 start for the pregame show. We'll talk with Scott Merkin, MLB.com. At 11, want to let you know that the White Sox and Country Financial are teaming up to recognize those individuals who now, more than ever, have faced the challenge to keep students focused on learning. Do you know an educator who deserves recognition? Quite frankly, if you know an educator, they deserve recognition. But if they deserve special, extra special recognition, nominate them for the Country Financial Teacher Appreciation Spotlight by visiting whitesox.com slash teachers spotlight today. Oh, I'm, I apologize. It's whitesox.com slash teacher spotlight today. Teacher spotlight at the end there. Uh, just got done talking with Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, about the tremendous efforts um, really of any pitcher the White Sox have right now. Uh, just about every one of them has been fantastic. Carlos Rodon, the rotation specifically, Rodon last night was great. Six innings, 13 strikeouts for Rodon. Just to, to put a bow on it, I saw Steve Stone, White Sox, analyst for the television side tweet this out a little earlier this morning it was like right as i got in to the studio and and sat down to uh to talk with ethan katz and now i've misplaced the tweet hold on one second stone was going on about about carlos rodon a little bit and i i thought it was interesting stone tweeted you all have computers so i want you to look up the 1972 seasons of steve carlton and the 1978 season of ron gidry Carlton was 27 and 10. Gidry was 25 and 3. That's what Carlos Rodon looked like last night. His stuff was electric. I loved watching him dominate. Back foot slider city. Yeah, Carlos really did have the slider working last night. He got a couple of those. Uh, the 78 season for Gidry, when he was throwing for the Yankees, that's one of them that Steve Stone mentioned there. He was the Cy Young winner. He also finished second in the MVP race that year. He threw 273 innings. I don't know that. Carlos is getting up to 273 innings. Not many do anymore, but he kept the ERA at 1.74 that year. Carlton in 72 also won a Cy Young. He threw 346 innings, which just, that doesn't, that doesn't compute in today's baseball. A guy throwing 346 innings. It just doesn't. Uh, He finished fifth in the MVP voting. He had the ERA at 1.97. And I mentioned it to, to Ethan in our interview just a couple of minutes ago, that the changeup has been a really good pitch, at least from my perspective, for Carlos. Obviously, he's going to be fastball slider, and and really he throws kind of two different sliders now, and it's been very effective for him. But from just from my perspective, and I, I don't know everything about pitching. Ethan certainly knows a hell of a lot more about it than I do. But that changeup, and I'm not saying you should throw it any more, just keep it right there at the 15, 16, 18% mark, something like that. It's worked, and it's, keep, it's kept guys really off balance. I thought it's been a, a solid offering from Carlos. And the work that he and Zach Collins have done together, I mean, it's, it's, tough, to, it's tough to thumb your nose at the results. They've, they've worked really well together. We got a lineup for the White Sox this afternoon already. 
Tim Anderson is at short. He leads off Adam Eaton's in right. Yoan Mankata is at third. Jose Abreu at first. More on Abreu in a moment. Yermin Mercedes will DH. Yasmani Grandal is behind the plate. He'll catch seven, eight, and nine are Andrew Vaughn, Leori Garcia, and Nick Madrigal. And of course, Dylan Cease is your starter today. You can join us on May 28th and May 29th as the Sox take on the Orioles. The first 10,000 fans at each game will receive a Tim Anderson bat flip bobblehead presented by Guaranteed Rate, the official mortgage provider of Chicago White Sox. Visit rate.com to get started. If you believe you will for tickets, visit whitesox.com. I have seen this bobblehead, the Tim Anderson bat flip bobblehead, and he really is bat flipping as a bobblehead. It's pretty great. Jose Abreu uh, hit a milestone last night. He played in his 1,000th career game. Not many have played in 1,000 career games with the White Sox. Very few, in fact. Just 29. He's the 66th active baseball player to reach 1,000 games. If you compare Abreu, and I won't read you know a whole bunch of stats in a row or anything like that, but the other notable names that have obviously been as good as Abreu, or in very few cases somewhat better, in 1,000 games with the White Sox are guys like Frank Thomas, Maglio Ordonez, Harold Baines, Robin Ventura, Luis Aparicio, Luke Appling. You know, we're, we're talking about those guys. You know, the inner circle of White Sox, the, the guys who have numbers retired and statues built, all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I think it's pretty clear that Abreu will have a statue at some point at guaranteed rate field. He's, been, he's meant everything to this ball club. And I think you've seen it, too, in ways that, and, and I, honestly, it's a Tony La Russa phrase that I liked quite a bit. He shows you tangible intangibles. Like, you can see clearly that man is the heart and soul of the franchise. Tim Anderson is the straw that stirs the drink. He is your actual, like, your literal leadoff man. He means so much to this offense. And he is kind of the 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 new face a a kind of um electric presence that a team needs jose abreu is kind of the heart and soul he's kind of the, the bedrock of this franchise both of them made ridiculous defensive plays last night coming home on ground balls and cutting down base runners at home plate abreu i just think his his last week or so is really pretty incredible he makes the game-winning sl- He runs into Hunter Dozier up the base path. What is it, a week ago today? Sunday? A week ago Sunday? Runs into Hunter Dozier. Those two guys collided like linebackers. They're both down on the ground for a while. I, I thought the worst. I, th- I thought they were going to be out for quite some time, but both of them. Abreu's back in there next day. Game-winning slide at home plate. Beats up the ankle a little bit, has to sit out the series against the Twins, has the off day, comes right back in, makes a play at home plate. On a really difficult throw, that is a really hard pick to make on a shot to first base on the ground, and then to come up throwing home and beat the guy by three steps. It's pretty incredible. Hey, real quickly here, uh, before we hit the break, join Chris Bleck and Adam Abdallah. They do the Black and Abdallah show nights here on the ESPN 1000 uh, flagship station from 6 until 8. You can join them today, though, from noon until 2. 
They're at Bulldog Ale House in Roselle. You can listen to White Sox Weekly on your way out there, and instead of listening to them, you can just have your headphones in and listen to White Sox Weekly then, too. They'll love that. Watch the White Sox. You can drink Coors Pure and enter to win two twosomes to the sold-out Grip It and Sip It Classic. I will be completely honest with you. There have been conversations about the Grip It and Sip It Classic on the station, our flagship station, for some time now. I don't know that anyone here at the station today producing the White Sox content has been invited or has tickets. These are hard to get. These are the elite, best of the best tickets. I think Black and Abdallah are going. I don't know if either of them golf. Do we know? Do they golf? They're golfers? Clearly, they're golfers. If you ask Chris Black nicely, he will also come to your house in an indiscreet package. That's the kind of guy Chris Black is. They're both wonderful humans. Join them at the Bulldog Ale House in Roselle. They're a fun time. And so is White Sox Weekly. We're going to get back to some of the offensive. Pro- We've talked a lot about pitching in the first hour of the show because the White Sox have been so good, top to bottom. From Lucas Giolito to Jose Ruiz, they've been wonderful. Offensively, there are a couple of names, a couple of performances that I want to highlight here before we head to the pregame show in an hour. And Scott Merkin coming up in just 30 minutes. Don't go anywhere. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. It's White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox and Yankees coming up at 12.05. Here's hoping it's the pitching matchup we saw last night and also that the results kind of flip around as well. It'll be tough, though. Garrett Cole has been fantastic for the Yankees this year. He set a single-season record of consecutive strikeouts without a walk, interrupting it to 61. Dylan Cease has been really good, 2-0 with a 2-4-1 ERA. It all started for him in a complete game shutout against the Detroit Tigers. It was a seven-inning affair, but you still get the CG for that whole thing. He's, he's, been, he's been great. He's been absolutely great. He's been the guy that, that many, um, including myself, thought he could be when he was traded for, really when he was drafted by the Chicago Cubs and then acquired by the White Sox in the Jose Quintana deal. He's been electric. Uh, just about every single one of the White Sox starters have been in most of the bullpen, too. Told you, though, that I wanted to talk a little bit about offense. We'll do that in a second. Sox fans, if you're looking to get vaccinated, head to Guaranteed Rate Field. Vaccinations will be available during select home games starting May 28th, and every fan who receives a vaccination will get a $25 gift card to use in the ballpark. You could go get the Comiskey Burger down right field. That's my personal favorite. I won't tell you how to spend your $25 gift certificate, but maybe you could look into that. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com today. I don't know if you've been following it, but there's been like a bracket challenge on MLB.com of all of the uh, the signature offerings from all the ballpark foods across the country. And the Comiskey Burger for the White Sox is the one that's that's in the bracket. It's like it, it's getting the 15th most votes right now. It's like the middle of the pack. It needs a boost. Go on to the website and vote for the thing. It's so it's got the it's the burger. Right. But you got the Merck's cheese spread. Not Merck, not not Merkin, not Randy Merkin or Scott Merkin. Scott's going to be on the show in a little bit. Randy does our schedules here. He's a great guy. Merck's cheese sauce. Get that spread over the top of the burger. Then they take the typical toppings for a Chicago dog, you know, the relish, the pickle, the onions, tomatoes, and this, you know, there's probably some celery salt or something like that in there too. They chop all that up 
and then put that on top of the burger as like the relish. To- it's it's preposterous. It's just it's so one of the things I want so badly this season is for the, some of the COVID restrictions to relax, you know, responsibly so, like in a safe manner. I'm not just going to flaunt restrictions here for the Comiskey Burger, although I've thought about it. I need the restrictions of the ballpark to kind of go away so I can wander down right field and get myself a burger before the game. It's my absolute favorite thing at the ballpark. Other things, too, like the root beer float down, but that's neither here nor there. I was reading a piece in The Athletic by Ken Rosenthal and uh, Brittany Gurley wrote it as well. The, the two of them have bylines on this. And I wanted to read you the first, it's very short, first couple of sentences. And it's about something that I think we're going to have to talk about quite a bit this season and into the off season as well. I just kind of put it down here as, as something in case you've missed it, in case you haven't heard about it. Although I'm guessing as a as an avid White Sox fan, as a baseball fan, you probably have heard this already. Still, it's getting big. And when a dude like Ken Rosenthal, when, when a writers like Rosenthal and Grioli kind of write about it, you start to take notice. This is really starting to matter. They write this. Riding the bus back to the team hotel after a recent game, members of a National League club passed around the ball from a rookie's first hit. The players were stunned by how sticky the ball was, how hours after the ball was taken out of play, they were still picking glue strands off the rawhide. What are we even doing here, a pitcher on that team said. Many in the game are asking the same questions about pitchers who illegally apply foreign substance to baseballs. The problem remains rampant, even in a season when Major League Baseball says it's taking additional steps to enforce rules prohibiting such conduct, including examining balls from every pitcher. That's just the first little bit. There's quotes all the way through. I don't know if you subscribe to it or, or whatever. Uh, it's, it's good reporting. Um, and obviously Rosenthal and Grioli have been doing some of the best for a while now. But those two graphs kind of hit me, right? And I think we've been talking about this for a little bit. And it all kind of comes together at this point in baseball right now. There are a number of forces acting on hitters that make their jobs really hard. It's why when you look at the White Sox having the third highest batting average as a team in baseball, you should go, holy crap, that's incredible. Not only because of the performances of some of the individuals involved, but also because, and I don't have to tell White Sox fans this, but because you are missing Aloy Jimenez, a dude who can hit 300 and mash 40-something home runs. You are also missing Luis Robert, a guy who had been fitting 300, and he hits you about 20, 25 bombs, something like that. The White Sox offense is still putting up these numbers. The White Sox offense with runners in scoring position, by the way, something like 15, 30, 20% better than league average, too. That's impressive. So when you have pitchers who are throwing as hard as they ever have, and that's because of training, that's because today's athletes are bigger, faster, stronger. They're all the bionic man, right? Or the $6 million man. Steve Austin, right? The $6 million. Not that Steve Austin. That's Austin 316. That's a different Austin, although I'm sure he could probably hit 90. So they're all bigger, faster, stronger. They're all throwing 95, 96. There are slow motion cameras that every team uses the rap soto the edgertronic the pitch tracks all these kinds of things you've heard the names before but those are that's what they are that are helping pitchers design pitch grips that are more effective they're just better better breaking stuff more efficient breaking stuff it allows think of it this way 
that kind of work at a minuscule, super slow-mo level allows a guy to repeat his delivery, to repeat the breaking ball more often, which means more breaking balls are disgusting stuff as opposed to hangers. You know, cement mixers, hang them and bang them kind of things. You also have these substances that Rosenthal and Grioli are reporting on. You have pitchers who are willing to, I don't know, thought rules. You have a policy that Major League Baseball is employing here and taking balls out of play and examining them and things like that. But if it is, if these substances as are ubiquitous as they seem to be, that, that a lot of guys use them, then the incentive to go ahead and like self-report isn't there. And Rosenthal and Grioli write about this a little later on in the piece, and I think it becomes pretty evident when you think about it, right? Like, if all the pitchers are using it, but you have it, like, let's say you're uh, a hitter X, right? You're Jose Abreu or Tim Anderson or whatever, and you're going, man, how am I supposed to hit Cole when he's got all this junk on the ball? I'm not saying that Garrett Cole is doing this or isn't doing this. I'm just saying he's par example. How am I supposed to hit this guy if he's got all this stuff on the ball and he's throwing 99 and his stuff is always that good? Well, I should probably let somebody know that there's this stuff on the ball. But maybe you have a couple of guys on your team that are doing it too. So if you raise your hand, at what cost are you raising your hand? That's the question this piece is asking that Rosenthal and Grioli wrote in The Athletic. That's the question I think a lot of people are asking in and around baseball. We are getting closer and closer, I think, to some larger changes to the game. I hope that the natural, I don't know, and it's not natural, right? It's like trained athleticism. It's all the all the work and effort that these guys, pitchers and hitters, put in rise to a level to make this game a little bit different than what we're seeing right now. But strikeout rate, the league strikeout rate has risen each and every year since the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. You guys remember Dave Kingman, right? Big hitter from back in the day. He was all swing and miss, right? Is he either home run or strikeout for Dave Kingman? You guys remember, you remember Dave Kingman? He's like the, the example of the big lumbering dude who was only a home run or a strikeout, and maybe sometimes he walked, right? I was reading this today. Dave Kingman's career strikeout rate, 24.4%. That was so ridiculous back in the day. That's the league average strikeout percent right now. League average hitter. 24.4% strikeout rate. That's enormous. That's incredible. That's, that's the kind of game we are in right now. And I hope it changes back some. I hope we get a different kind of baseball over the next couple of months. I hope, you know, shoot, let's put it to you this way. I think if you went up and down uh, the White Sox lineup right now, you know, whether you were talking to guys that were hitting it well or whether guys that were struggling, they would say that 60 games last season wasn't a lot of time to really feel or fall into any kind of rhythm that I would imagine there are a lot of guys in and around baseball that are going, okay, now I feel like we're playing a season again. Now I feel like I've got the tools that I need to be as effective as possible to be as efficient, to be as dangerous as possible even. Remember, yes, Monty Grandal last season was talking a lot about it, and he wasn't the only guy. Javi Baez of the Cubs was talking about it some as well. I think, I want to say Buster Posey, but I think I might be wrong there. I think it was an East Coast catcher, in fact. 
talk about how difficult it was or how much it changed their routine to not have in-game video after at-bats, to not be able to go back and look at something in-game and see what somebody did to you. That matters to guys. And now you're getting back to that. You're getting back to those rhythms, and I think you're seeing hitters like that kind of establish long runs of success or at least at-bats where they feel in control as opposed to just praying they run into something. I think it's a big topic in baseball. I think it's a big conversation. I think it is going to surround us, uh, especially. We're seeing evidence of it already, right? The fact that we have six no-hitters, Carlos Rodon's being, being one of them, six no-hitters in baseball already this year. The major league record for no-hitters in a season is seven. We aren't in June yet, and we've had six. That's really pretty incredible. Um, and I, I don't think it takes away at all from some of the performances that staff-wide the White Sox have put up. Or, you know, hitting-wide that the White Sox offense has put up. Let's take a phone call before we hit the break. I want to pause it here real quick, 10 seconds. You got White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Scott Merkin's going to join us on the other side of a quick break, but I do want to slide a phone call in before we get uh, too far down the line in the 11 o'clock hour on the north side. It's Eddie. What's up, Eddie? Hello? Eddie! Hey, how's it going? I'm good, man. Make no mistake about it, this steroid era with all these home runs is what's happening today in baseball. These guys that got juiced up and hit all these home runs, they got huge contracts. Home runs are money. They don't care about hitting base hits no more. That ruined baseball, and and it's happening now with it. And the same as in basketball, when LeBron James couldn't win with his team and hooked up with other superstars, that happened to basketball. And I hopefully it doesn't happen with basketball. football when Deshaun Watson said he wants to get traded and then you had Russell Wilson opening his mouth and now Aaron Rodgers uh, running his mouth of them telling them where they got to be and how the game should be played. Eddie? And that's what, what? I, I love you, man. Appreciate uh, you. All right. Thanks. I have, I'm going to be real honest with you. I have no idea what he was talking about. Absolutely none. I love that he called. Thank you so much. We'll talk with We'll talk talk with Scott Merkin on the other side of a quick break. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Pre-game show coming up in a little under half an hour, 1130. We'll get started there. First pitch, 12.05 here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network with Len and DJ. You can start planning your outing to the ballpark. Perfect for family reunions, fundraisers, and more. Plus, it's the best way to save on single-game prices for your group. After all, White Sox games are better with a group. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. When you're at the ballpark, you can look up into the press box and wave at our next guest. It is Scott Merkin of MLB.com. Covers the White Sox and does it well. You can follow him on Twitter, at Scott Merkin. Hi, Scott. Great to talk to you. Connor, how are you doing? Good to talk to you, too. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for making some time for White Sox Weekly this morning. Uh, Always love our chats. I want to start in a place where uh, it's a little unexpected, I think. I read your piece, your latest, on Gavin Sheets. 
and what he's been yeah. doing for the AAA ball club in Charlotte. Uh, tell me a little bit about what interested you in writing about Sheets and what the long and short-term prospects may be for this prospect. Well, I actually thought when Aloy, you know, was injured that Sheets might get a closer look, although, you know, he really hadn't played in organized, you know, I don't say organized baseball, you know, he, but he, had, yeah, I guess he hadn't because he was not part of the, uh, you know, the uh, alternate training site last year, which stuck in his craw a little bit. And, you know, he had done a lot of work in the off season. He lost weight. He focused a lot with his dad, Larry Sheets, who a former uh, excellent Major League Baseball player for the Baltimore Orioles. I believe hit 31 home runs in one season, focused more on playing the outfield, and, you know, was really ready to go. And I think kind of adopted a new attitude in terms of, you know, which you hear a lot from Major League Baseball players or minor league baseball players, for that matter, control what you control. Stop worrying about what, you know, and I guess that's probably a good attitude in life, right, Connor? Just uh, worry about what you can do and not what other people perceive you're doing. And I thought it was interesting, you know, in talking to him the second time, I had a, a good talk with him in spring training, but in talking the second time, he talked about sitting with Frank Medicino, the White Sox hitting coach, and looking at video of hitters and trying to figure out stuff that would fit in with, you know, what he did. And, of course, he studied Jim Tomey, who, you know, is a, a left-handed hitter like himself. But he also said, you know, he, he watched a lot of Nelson Cruz videos to see how that worked, and he really liked how, you know, like kind of simple his swing was to get the job done. So he incorporated some of that in there too. And then of course he added that he, you know, like a lot of minor league guys raved about the extra work they did with Jim Tomey during the, uh, during spring training, you know, a, a, just a, a huge, tremendous uh, boost and asset for the White Sox to have. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a major leaguer. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a question of when and where, where, right. I mean, will there be a fit for him with this team? Will he be someone that they use to get someone else? But this, young man has put himself in position now to be a major leaguer and he's you know off to a really good start at charlotte on top of that yeah he's ripping the cover off the ball 328 371 552 three dingers four doubles 13 driven in in triple a charlotte i wonder i think that's kind of the next question though scott is like this white Sox outfield has held it together in in more ways than i could possibly have imagined after you know being told that aloy jimenez and luis robert were down where is right. the spot for Sheets? How good is the defense in one of those outfield corners? Well, it's still something he's learning, and I kind of joke with him, you know, could you play center? And he <laughs> laughed and said, no, you know, I better stick to right field. And I think he's played a little left, too, in his time. So, you know, I think – and, and, you know, he worked in instructional league on this this year after the 20 season – or as the 20 season was coming to a close. You know, they have first baseman. They have, you know, DH possibilities. And they kind of have the corner outfield, so that's the question of where does it, you know, where does it work for him? Where where is it gonna, where is it gonna fit in? But again, all he can do is keep playing. And you know, sadly, you know, sadly in the context of baseball, actually, and their injury, no one thought, you know, back in the beginning of February that Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert were gonna miss months of the season. So stuff does come up. You you plan as a team that your original twenty six now are not gonna go the whole season with just those twenty six, obviously. But you don't also plan for two-year, you know, best players to go down for months at a time. So, you know, there may be an opportunity for him there. So I think he's got the great attitude where he's just, you know, working in chart. He's very happy. He says he's not had good starts to his career before, which he has now. So he's happy with that. So just kind of working on improving his game, feeling more and more comfortable in right field. You know, he still plays in first base and is ready if, you know, be ready if they, uh, if they call upon him. 
Merck, I was looking around uh, some of the news around baseball last night. I was a little surprised to see that the Brewers traded for Willie Adamas from the Rays. They sent a bunch of relievers over to the Rays, who I assume will turn into super beings and strike out everyone they look at because that's how Rays relievers work. But that's kind of like a that's an early trade of note, I thought. And I wonder if that kind of picked up your radar at all for uh, maybe some teams who have extraordinary needs because of as many injuries as, as are out there right now. Um, maybe this this trade deadline stuff might not matter. Maybe there are some moves that can get made early. Well, if you've watched Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams over the years, and I go back to like when I first started covering the team in 2003, the trade deadline is kind of like their last deadline. You know, I mean, if they – they, they know who they want to target. It's not like Kenny and Rick and the rest of the front office wake up one day and say, oh, you know, let's go after so-and-so today. Maybe, maybe that happens once in a while, but I doubt it. They have a plan. They have a three-year board. And, you know, guys outside of the organization who they want to target are, are on that board. So I'm sure they're already ta- there's already talks involved. But I think with so much parity in baseball, Connor, mm. that, you know, it's, it's tough to make moves this early. You've got to see who kind of, you know, falls out and who stays in the race. I mean, you look at a team like across town, you know, a team that, you know, the Cubs who are expected to make some moves, right, because they have a lot of free agents coming into the year. I mean, I think with their win last night, they're two games out of first right now. So, you know, how how do you approach that as Memorial Day is one week away? You know, do you figure like, okay, this division may need 84 wins to win the division, and then we take our chances, or do you look at it and say, well, even if we win this division, we're not going to be a World Series team most likely this year. So let's, you know, keep building for the future. So I think you have teams doing that. I think it was a good fit in Milwaukee and in Tampa. And I kind of laugh at you saying, you know, these the two guys who they get, uh, Frierson and Rasmussen, I think, were the two bullpen guys yeah, they got. Yeah, Richardson's in there too, I think. And they're probably going to go on your right to, you know, post like 1.3 ERAs over yeah. the next few years mm-hmm. in Tampa. It just seems to work out that way, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, Adam is a nice fit for the Brewers too. So I think that's the big thing. You know, if you can find the fit on both sides, teams may be willing to look at it right now. But I still think it may be just – I think you're getting to the, you're getting closer to the point now. You know, in June, early June, you probably can find, you know, something that fits a little easier than like right when the like – going as far back as right when the Robert injury happened, something like that. You know, I, I think the Sox are also looking, and Rick Hahn has stressed this, <clears throat> excuse me, they're looking for guys who will, you know, fit the, the small term and the big picture, right? Mm-hmm. They're looking for guys who can help them win a World Series in 2021. That's their goal. You can only win the 2021 World Series this year, right? You can't lay claim to 2023 by making a good move now. But I don't think they want to dismantle what a really cohesive clubhouse and a really talented clubhouse just to try and get a boost for a few months with Robert and Jimenez possibly coming back. You know, So I think it's going to be interesting to see what they're willing to give up and what other teams are willing to look at as they move forward. And they, you know, they've, gotten, they've gotten – they've had decent play – from the guys who have filled in so far. I mean, Andrew Vaughn has taken a left field like he played there his whole life. You know, Billy Hamilton has had some good moments. Danny Mendick hit a grand slam the other night and has been a good guy all around the field. Um, you know, Jake Lamb in limited opportunities has come through too. So, you know, it's not Aloy Jimenez, who's a silver slugger with 40 home run capability, or Luis Robert, who might be one of the best athletes in all of baseball and really learning the game and getting starting to move towards that elite stratosphere. But It'll be interesting to see what they target and what they want to do, you know, and I, I think they'll know a little more when they have a little bit a little bit better idea of when Jimenez and Robert could possibly return. Talking with Scott Merkin, MLB.com here on White Sox Weekly. He covers the Sox. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott Merkin. 
Scott, when you sit down and, and write your book on the 2021 White Sox <laughs> season, will this week for Jose Abreu be a full chapter? It's uh, it's pretty amazing, but it really isn't because, well, first of all, I agree with Tony LaRusso. I was off on the doubleheader day Friday, but I saw the replay. Oh. And when I saw that, I'm like, you know, okay, he's he's out for at least like, you know, a short term injured list in, Scott, at least we, for you know whatever 10 days we you know heard it we felt like you could you could hear and you know like when you're at a football game like a college game or something where you actually get to sit close yes it was like that yeah my friend was at the game and she told me i, I don't know exactly where she was sitting but she told me that she heard it too oh. she said it was it was horrible to hear and we're not talking you know guys like your size or my size running each other you know these are what six four 240, 250-pound guys, right, yeah. colliding. And they weren't running full head of steam, but, I mean, Jose was coming in pretty fast for the ball, for the pop-up, and Dozier had, you know, just started moving. That's an impact. And, you know, I agree with Tony LaRusse on that one. It, it was stunning to me that he played within the week, let alone he played the next night and had a home run, for God's sake, on top of it. So, And then, you know, we didn't really know about the ankle, how, you know, how bad it was until LaRusso talked a little bit about it, and then Jose met with the media for the first time after the game last night in his 1,000th career game and said that, you know, he couldn't walk on it when he, when he got to Minnesota. They went to the ER, the ER to have it checked. And, I mean, it just shows, you know, I, I think a lot is made out of what he is and what the great player he is, but he's just he's devoted to that team. You know, this is not about personal numbers. You can rarely get him to talk about personal numbers during the season. Even in the offseason, it's not a, a huge topic for him. You know, it's all about the team. And, you know, he has that approach also about let's worry about today. Let's worry about this week. Let's not focus on if we're a World Series contender in September. Let's get the job done today. And he does all he can to be present, you know, every day. It's pretty amazing what they've had. And, I mean, I remember Kenny Williams talking about scouting him and, you know, the, the, the money kept going up on what it was going to be to sign him. And, you know, you're crossing your fingers and say, you know, you hope it, it works out to the full extent, not only to work out for the length of that contract, but it looks like it's going to work out and then some for the three years they signed him. And I mean, really one of the better, I think it's fair to say, right, Connor, maybe, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but one of the better free agent signings in Chicago sports history. I, I, they haven't won anything yet, which except, you know, the wild card last year, yeah. which is a big step forward. But I think, you know, in terms of production and what he's meant to the organization in his eight years there, it's got to rank up there. Yeah, I I would probably put it, you know, being as objective as I can about it, I would probably put it at the top of that second tier of free right. agent signings with the clear potential of moving into the elite should they win. Because that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Yeah, you know, it's like people ask me, is this the best rotation I've seen that the White Sox have had? And I'm like, oh, it's a really good rotation. You know, there really is no weakness one through six if you count Kopech in. But you can't put anyone above the 05 rotation, right, until you win something. I mean, that, that's how I look. I mean, that 05 rotation did something that will probably never, well, I can say more than probably, will never happen again. Never. Yeah. Four straight complete games in the ALCS. And I think the first game Contreras threw was like, what, two-thirds of an inning in the bullpen? So, I mean, almost five straight complete games. And just the, you know, the, the dominance without gaudiness that you're just a steady dominance they showed was a big reason why they won the World Series title the way they did. Scott, I know it's just May 22nd, but the White Sox division lead is two and a half games, which is also the biggest in baseball. It's tied with the Mets over Phillies right now with two and a half. You've mentioned the parody in this game. It's evident, and it's really early too, no doubt. But performances by Kansas City and Minnesota, 
and kind of throw Detroit in there, but they're not in the same class as teams that are looking to win games in 2021. That's just not where they're at. Who's who's surprised you most in this division and why? Well, I mean, I think it's got to be Minnesota, right? I mean, even if you didn't, I mean, you, you take into consideration some of the injuries they've had. You know, Buxton was having an MVP caliber, well, still is having an MVP caliber season, but was hurt again. You know, they went through a little bit of a COVID issue there. But, you know, I, I've said this a number of years, is I think, you know, nothing derails a good team quicker than tough late-inning losses. And Colome, who was tremendous for the White Sox for the two years they had him, and has been really good like his last eight or nine outings for the Twins, had a rough go early on. The team had a rough go finishing victories, and that kind of turns momentum. You know, you go, if you're, you have a four and two record, and you're leading six, four in the ninth, and you're like, okay, now we're starting to build a little distance between, you know, us and 500. And then suddenly you blow the 4 2 lead, and, you know, there's the one game in Oakland where they lost on consecutive errors on oh, pretty routine yeah. plays. You know, it, it takes a toll on you. I don't care what, you know, people say about, oh, you know, momentum is the next day starting pitcher. That's fine, but momentum is also finishing off victories. And they really surprised me. I mean, they, you know, they, they had a, a solid effort against the Sox on that. Tuesday night, but there are some games that I've seen them head-to-head that they just, you know, kind of look out of it. And, you know, teams go through that when you're not hitting or not playing well. That's an easy, you know, an easy uh, move to saying, oh, they're not into it. You know, that that's not always the case. But, you know, they surprised me. I thought they'd be better. I thought they'd be very good, actually. And I will add this, that I think they still can be good. And I don't think it has anything to do about, you know, reaching a certain win total where they have to play 27 over the rest of the year. I think it's just reaching the win total that gets you in the playoffs, right? Mm. So if this parity lasts all year and 84, 85 wins gets you into a wild card, well, then you go for the 84, 85. You just need one more win than the team you're fighting against for the playoffs. But they surprised me. And I, you know, I have to say the Sox have surprised me too because they're a very good team. That's the big thing to focus on the White Sox. They're an excellent baseball team, and they're doing it without, you know, Eloy Jimenez's bat, without – Luis Roberts' overall game without Adam Engel, who would be playing center field probably every day or most every days in place of, you know, Robert. I mean, you know, Tim Anderson was on the IL. Jose Abreu has, you know, missed the series against Minnesota, which they won, and they continue to win. They're, what, nine games over 500 entering today's game. So I I think you give them in a positive way that they've surprised. And, you know, I mean, Cleveland's going to stay in there because they can pitch. I just don't know if they hit enough to, to, you know, catch the White Sox. But I'd say the Twins in one direction and maybe the Sox in the other have surprised me a little bit in the early going. Real quick before we let you go, I, sure. I'm, I'm literally being screamed at to, to take a break, but I thought I'd be an idiot if I didn't ask. What is the latest on, on Adam Engel? What are, what are things looking like? Any idea? You know, the last there was no update this morning. The last we got updated, which was in Minnesota, is that he was getting close to going on a rehab assignment. Tony LaRusso said it would be announced soon. I don't know the exact date for soon, but I'm guessing, you know, I, I know I would, I'll check tomorrow morning and, you know, I would hope him that it would be because he's put a lot of work into getting back yeah. that'll be sometime next week that he'd start on a minor league rehab assignment Merck, appreciate it thanks so much looking forward to talking to you soon okay connor thanks take care scott merkin mlb.com he is darn good at what he does and i look forward to seeing him at a ballpark to uh talk more baseball in person again that'll be fun i wouldn't i'm with him i wouldn't be surprised at all if minnesota woke up at some point like tomorrow the next day and turned into a 550 club a 550 winning percentage club and got up to around 80 85 wins something like that um, they're just that kind of talented offensively. We'll see if the pitching can turn around. I think the White Sox will uh, – it's it's still going to be a tough division as well as the White Sox have played, and gosh, they have played well. We will wrap up White Sox Weekly when we come back. Pre-game show at 11.30 this morning. Sox and Yankees, 12.05 start.
Keep it right here. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. A little bit left for White Sox Weekly here on this fine Saturday morning. Somebody turned the heat on in Chicago, and it has been very nice the last couple of days. Kind of, you know, you got to get adjusted back to it. There's that brief, you know, like two, three-day stretch where you're walking around like, oh, God, it's so hot. Why is it so And then you realize, no, it's been 45 degrees for the last six months. Why would I complain about 85 and sunny? I'm not. I'm really not. I promise you. It's supposed to be really nice in the Bronx today, too, or at least that's what I had seen walking in. Should be some good weather for the Dylan Cease-Garrett Cole matchup, which is on the way in just a little bit, about 45 minutes or so. We're going to have first pitch. Sox fans, it's your last chance to lock in a ticket package for the 2021 season. The best way to get it, postseason priority. The best way to get postseason priority, flexible payment plans and savings on single-game prices for the biggest matchups to come. For more information, visit whitesocks.com or call 312-674-1000. We saved that read for the end because it seems pretty darn important. I mean, you, you're going to want to go to postseason games if the White Sox have postseason games, right? 674-1000, 312-674-1000. Um, a lot of big league stuff has been a ton of fun to watch for the Sox. They're nine games over 500, 27 and 16. Um, but I, I did want to, and I'm glad Scott Merkin was able to update us on Gavin Sheets who's playing really well in AAA Charlotte right now. He's playing a corner, right field mostly, some left field. And there's plenty of speculation on whether or not, you know, to call up and reinforce this offense because at some point, you know, you'll you'll need it or you'll you'd like to take a look at it whether that's via trade or whether that's through somebody in AAA. Um one of those guys, maybe cheats or maybe someone else is is going to get a look at big league ball. Kevin Goldstein is a guy I like quite a bit. He works for Fangraphs now. He used to be part of the Astros front offense in their, I want to say, pro scouting development. We, Kevin and I used to talk a lot when he was with Baseball Prospectus back in the day, and I was at a different spot. We talked a lot of baseball. He's doing minor league reports, among many other things, for Fangraphs right now. And I wanted to read you this that he wrote on White Sox third baseman at AAA Charlotte, Jake Berger. Remember, he was the 11th overall pick in the 2017 draft. I got a chance to talk with him a couple of times when I was doing this job um, back that year, and he's just a blast to talk to, a really fun dude, a talented ball player who was hit with a couple of injuries that came out of nowhere, right? The back-to-back Achilles tears, that'll do it for just about any ball player. Um, and when you're a guy that plays a corner and is a you know big dude, big boned like Jake Berger, that's potentially even worse. Here's what Goldstein wrote. On the first couple of weeks of work from White Sox minor league third baseman Jake Berger. It's hard to imagine a more injury-plagued prospect than Berger who entered the season having not played in almost four years due to -to back-to-back Achilles tendon ruptures. Suddenly 25, he was understandably pushed to AAA to start the season, and the results so far have been mixed. His 196-245-500 line in 11 games tells you everything to know about his offense. He's hitting for power with six of his nine hits going for extra bases, but isn't hitting that much overall. The bat speed's there, but needs to simplify his swing in order to quit getting beat by good velocity, said one pro scout. I, it just goes to show you, there's there's a long way to know, Goldstein writes to kind of sum it up. He slimmed down and now projects as an average third baseman with a plus arm. There's still a ways to go before we know what we have, but it's nice to see things moving in the right direction. Plenty of good news here, though, and that's not just because Berger's actually playing. I think scouts around baseball 
who have had a chance to you know talk with or look at at, at, at Jake Berger really do kind of root for the guy. And you count me among them, right? I mean, what a story. It'd be great if he could get uh, up to the big leagues at some point in his career with anybody at this point, considering that he is 25 and, and the White Sox have their third baseman of the future in Yoan, the present and future in Yoan Mankata. But man, root for Jake Berger, I guess. Like, keep doing it. The guy's six of his nine hits are for extra bases. He's getting struck out a lot. Yes, he's facing velocity for the first time. And I think it's a story, too. We're going to do a little bit more of a minor league report, I think, next week on White Sox Weekly. We get a few more games under our belts. We'll talk to some people who have watched some games um, out in Charlotte and out in Birmingham. Um, but this, there, there was no minor league season last year. And if you weren't at the alt site, you are way behind. And Berger was, no doubt. But you are way behind. So to see these guys get back into it and and really start to put together seasons where we can evaluate what this White Sox system has and what they might be able to move for things that matter in a 2021 Chase for a World Series should be a lot of fun. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for calling and listening. We'll do it again next week. The pregame show starts in just a couple of minutes. For Tyler Aki, Eric Ostrowski, and Ryan McGuire, I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox and Yankees coming up. 11.30 pregame show start. Don't go anywhere. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.